Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, what do you think we're going to be talking about today? Jeffrey Epstein, who done it? Indeed, who done it? Jeffrey Epstein himself, or someone who had uh, a reason, a good reason to, to murder him? And why did it happen? How did it happen in a <laughs> If you're not safe in a prison, in a jail, okay, it was technically a jail. If you're not safe in jail, then where are you safe? I mean, this whole story is both tragic and ludicrous at the same time. Tragic, of course, because of the crimes that he allegedly committed uh, as a pedophile. And um, tragic also because of his death, whether it was suicide or murder. And tragic because of what it says about the... Um, the prison system, at least the very, the jails that he was in. Um, well, let's talk about each of these things. First of all, let me tell you that uh, I have a lot of experience in jails. <laughs> not really, I mean, inside them, but not as an inmate. Um, but as a forensic psychiatrist, I have uh, spent a lot of time doing psychiatric evaluations of prisoners, murderers, rapists, all kinds of prisoners. And uh, starting from when I was a psychiatric resident at um, Bellevue Hospital, and Bellevue, of course, has uh, a preeminent forensic unit, a a jail within the hospital, and um, all of the, well, I don't know about all, but many of the, if not most of the, most... um, Dangerous, uh, psychiatrically disturbed criminals end up in Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital Forensic Ward. And so, um, so I started off uh, early in my career as a psychiatrist, examining and, and learning about and um, reporting about these kinds of prisoners. And um, not just uh, evaluating the prisoners, but getting an idea of what it, jails are like. You know, what the people are like, the guards, the staff, the administrators. Uh, all of that has been serving me well as I continued to go to jails basically all around the country. Uh, numerous, I've been in jails in numerous cities, jails and prisons in numerous cities, like, for example, um, the, um, in Michigan, when I was the defense psychiatrist for Jonathan Schmitz, the man in the Jenny Jones talk show murder, he was accused of first-degree murder. This was the case of the same-sex secret crush show, except that when they tried to get guests, um, they didn't tell them it was a same-sex secret crush. And, oh, it's a whole long story. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but, you know, the media tried to make it into a... um, into a, a hate crime, a gay hate crime, which was absolutely not the truth. It's a much longer, more complicated story. But then um, I have been in um, the Twin Towers in Los Angeles for numerous criminals. So uh, all around the country, basically, I have seen jails, criminals, staff, <laughs> and I have treated 
um, some staff who worked in these uh, jails and prisons. I have had prisoners. I have had prisoners. <laughs> Freud would love that. I have had patients. Maybe they, maybe they felt they were prisoners um, who uh, were, were worked in jails and prisons. So I understand um, their mindset as well. So let's get back to Epstein. Um, there are all kinds of interesting questions. Um, why is it still a mystery whether he committed suicide or was murdered? What's the mindset of the guards, the mental health professionals, the doctors who work in jails? Why prisoners are more at risk in jails and prisons, especially now than they used to be? And why new proposals to turn jails into psych facilities are misguided? So let's get to the question of suicide versus um, homicide, murder. Suicide. Would Jeffrey Epstein have committed suicide? We know or we're told. We don't really know anything at this point because one of the things that I learned from being in all these jails and prisons is that there is a very dark culture. That is, um, lots of seedy things go on, uh, secretive things, and there are, it's a whole power struggle uh, so that the, the relationships between the people who work there influences the treatment of the inmates and influences what gets leaked out of the jails and prisons. Uh, so they cover for each other. Of course, you know, that depends on, on which side you're on. I mean, whether you're in a particular clique or another particular clique or whether you're um, higher in the hierarchy or lower in the hierarchy, all kinds of different sociological reasons for why um, secrets are held or not held and who um, is going to hold your secret if you're somebody who works there. So, um, you know, there you probably have heard that there was a, what they're calling a suicide attempt earlier um, last month. And um, the, he was found, Jeffrey Epstein was found with marks on his neck. And it has been reported that these marks were consistent with his having tried to hang himself at that time. And he was supposedly put on suicide watch after that. Now, did he actually try to hang himself at that time? Maybe. Um, was that an attempted murder that didn't work? Maybe he started making noise. Um, the murderer got scared off. Something. Something happened that the murder wasn't complete at that time? Possibly. But in any case, since it was reported that this was uh, a suicide attempt, then there is no question but that he should have been on suicide watch. Now, of course, that is a whole other can of worms <laughs> um, where it was, we're being told that, um, that he was on suicide watch and there were all other, other media outlets saying, no, he wasn't on suicide watch. Other media outlets say uh, his, um, his attorney... Uh, asked that he not be on suicide watch, which is rather strange. You can come up with all kinds of reasons for that, which I will talk to you about. 
Um, and in my opinion, this all boils down or is going, you know, the buck stops or should stop uh, unless, again, unless it was murder. But, but um, if it was suicide, um, the buck should stop at the uh, chief psychiatrist or psychologist of the prison, of the jail. Because um, even if a lawyer, if that is true, that Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer um, asked for him not to be on suicide watch, which, you know, <laughs> why would that be? We'll, we'll hypothesize, speculate. This is all speculation. I don't, <laughs> I, I never saw, I've never met Jeffrey Epstein. I never saw him in jail. So um, let me just clear that up. I, I was not in that jail. So I do not know um, for sure what happened, but, but apparently neither does anybody else at this point, except, except, um, except maybe people who aren't talking. In any case, um, if Jeffrey Epstein's attorney did tell um, a guard or a psychiatrist or a psychologist that he wanted him off suicide watch, then it is, it is still up to the chief psychiatrist and really up to the warden, um, but to, to make their own, for, for the psychiatrist or psychologist to make their own decision. You, you're not, you don't, when it comes to suicide, you don't rely on a lawyer's opinion or anybody else's opinion. That's why you're a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You're supposed to be making the opinion about whether the person is actively suicidal or not. And certainly with a prisoner like Jeffrey Epstein, um, where there are so many alleged victims and the world watching this case and so many other people, you know, powerful people um, who are going to be implicated, have been implicated as well. Um, you know, he's a high, what's called a high-profile prisoner. And so you are particularly, or you should be particularly, particularly careful about what happens to him. So even if it, if it was more, a, less, a less high-profile prisoner, and um, I mean, there's, still, there's no excuse. I was going to say if, there's a less, if it was a less high-profile prisoner and their lawyer comes to you and says something like, oh, I wish you'd take him off suicide watch because it's making him more depressed that he's on suicide watch or something like that, like, the, like a lawyer would you know, know that or be able to make that assessment. Um, you know, you can see where maybe it wouldn't be right still. I mean, you should go and examine the person yourself. But you can see where maybe um, that might get lost in the wash, you know. It might, it might just fall between the cracks. But a high-profile prisoner like Jeffrey Epstein, if you are the shrink, <laughs> the chief shrink of this jail, you had better make sure that you are making the absolute right Decisions. I mean, of course, you always need to make the right decision when it's about somebody being potentially suicidal, you know, even if it's uh, um, <laughs> Mr. J uh, Joe Doe, I mean, you know, Joe Schmo from down the street. You, you always have to, as, as a responsibility, as a, as a mental health professional, you have the responsibility to be absolutely sure one way or the other or, or to err on the side of being more careful and keep a person under suicide watch if you're not 100% sure, but you want to be more careful, you know, better safe than sorry. And apparently that was not done. Now, again, uh, we still don't know all the details. 
So, um, so like, for example, if it turns out that it was somebody who got into his cell and did murder him, but, but even, you know, I mean, but let me take that back because, because suicide watch, um, somebody, there are different ways of putting a prisoner on suicide watch. Um, and I'll go into them, but, but certainly the key is that somebody should be watching them all the time. Suicide watch, <laughs> you know, that means looking at the prisoner at all times. Now, of course, the problem is that jails that are overcrowded or where there aren't enough staff, which apparently is the case with this jail, um, and there aren't enough staff to go around, uh, as apparently was the case with this jail where people were working overtime way too many hours, then, um, this, then something like this can happen. Because whether it's suicide or murder, somebody should have been watching him at all times. It shouldn't have been able to happen either way. So, um, so let's, let's go back a bit and talk about the, the possibility, the potential um, of it having been suicide. Why would Jeffrey Epstein decide to kill himself? Well, there are a number of ways. For one thing, the humiliation. You know, he was a rather, uh, what, a grandiose kind of guy uh, who, you know, he had an island to himself. He bought his own island. He was very rich. Um, he had an incredibly, uh, uh, like a mansion in Manhattan. <laughs> that's that's uh, something to speak of. Um, he, you know, show was very important to him. He had to look uh, very cool, very rich, very important. And so um, for somebody who is narcissistic, undoubtedly, um, you know, he was, um, one can, one, I'm making that uh, assessment from everything I know about him, you know, and the way that he lived his life. And, oh, yes, you could say perhaps sociopathic as well um, if he is guilty, as it seems like he is, but he was never, he was never convicted in a, by a jury. But in any case, um, certainly being, if these accusations are true, then he was also a pedophile and also sociopathic and because of that um, and so on. So, you know, but, but he's, he's somebody who wanted to always have a certain, um, a certain, have other people have a certain impression about him. So as these things were coming out more and more, and yes, he was tried or not, well, he, there was this deal in Florida some years ago, but that was relatively low-key compared to what has been happening um, in these previous days, weeks. And so clearly the world is paying a lot more attention to this arrest than his previous arrest. So would he have killed himself because of the humiliation? Possibly. You know, this is not the image that he wanted. Would he have killed himself because he saw the writing on the wall? that he was going to be convicted and that he was going to be put in jail for the rest of his life? Um, would, would he have killed himself because he wanted to protect his friends in high places? Um, you know, whoever that may be, President Clinton, former President Clinton, Prince Andrew, all of these names that I'm sure you've heard bantied about. Um, 
perhaps he, you know, this was a, this was a, um, a valiant thing that he did to protect so he wouldn't have to answer questions about the people who he hung out with. Um, perhaps it was passive-aggressive to kill himself. He didn't want his victims to have the, the opportunity to face him in court. He wanted to take uh, their, the punishment that he would get because of them out of their control. And especially um, with the new documents that were just released the night before, um, you know, this would have heightened all of these feelings that he had, all of these fears, all of the humiliation, uh, all of the feeling that the writing is on the wall, this is really bad. But then again, you could argue he had lots of money to pay um, high-priced lawyers, and he escaped a really bad fate the last time, so he could have had hope that he was going, his lawyers were going to get him out of it this time. So that kind of speaks against suicide. It also speaks against suicide when someone's narcissistic. I mean, that could go either way, but um, he could have been feeling or believing that, as I was saying, that he would have escaped it this time as well, you know, that he's super powerful and super magnificent and he's a superhero and um, they're not going to get him this time either. So one could really make an argument both ways as to whether it was suicide or, um, or murder. And we'll get into more of this um, when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm talking today about Jeffrey Epstein, who done it and why. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact dr carol lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 
472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who done it, and why. Um, I was talking before about um, the possibility. Now, let me just, uh, you know, there, there are so many uh, differing reports, conflicting reports. So, for example, some reports say that he was found hanging in his Manhattan jail cell early Saturday morning. Others have said that he was found on the floor, um, you know, that he presumably broke the noose, you know, when he fell um, and he was dead. Or actually that there were, they tried to revive him. Oh, there's an interesting, um, there's an interesting report that came out today um, about how somebody said, somebody presumably maybe in a nearby cell or something, um, said that the morning that they found him dead, there were shrieks coming from his cell. Now, what kind of shrieks? Shrieks of Epstein um, uh, when he saw someone come in who was going to murder him, you know, who would set it up to look like a suicide, a hanging? Um, Was it a shriek of Epstein himself? Um, Maybe when the noose, (laughs) as he jumped off, you know, it's, it's hard. See, Part of the thing of Suicide Watch, by the way, which apparently, uh, according to some, he, he wasn't actually on, which is how he was able to do this. Um, but when you're on Suicide Watch, they take away everything that you could possibly, possibly use to commit suicide. So, like, for example, any kind of sharp object, um, any kind of... Well, you know, even even bed sheets, um, because of course people typically would tie bed sheets to something and uh, something high in the cell and hang themselves that way. Uh, take away shoelaces because you can you can put shoelaces together to hang yourself. Um, you know, anything that you could possibly uh, manage to turn into an instrument of suicide, they take away from you. In addition to what I was talking about before, that sometimes, you know, they, they do watch in different ways. Sometimes it's uh, every 15 minutes someone's supposed to come and look at you and they're supposed to write it down. There's like a, a book, a log, where you're supposed to, the guard is supposed to put their initials every time that they come see you. Sometimes you could be on five-minute suicide watch. Um, some, the best suicide watch or the most serious suicide watch is when you are on television. You know, you are, there is a camera in your cell and someone is always watching the camera. That's, that's not only the safest, but it's, well, other than what, what is safer is having someone sitting outside your cell staring at you. Uh, that is the safest. But, um, you know, since money is scarce in these prisons and jails, they do things uh, to save money that, you know, often will end up in tragedies like this. So, um, but with a camera, there is somebody watching. There Usually there are more, there is more than one person on suicide watch in big jails. And so um, they have cameras in their cells and they have a central, it goes to a central spot, a central place where there are um 
uh, screens of all the different cells of all the different people who are on suicide watch. And there is somebody sitting there looking at all the screens. So, again, that's not, you know, as good as having someone 24-7 sitting outside the cell staring at you um, because, because you're right there. You know, if typically the person isn't necessarily super close by if they're watching it on a uh, television screen because they're watching so many different cells. But anyhow, any of these things would have been better than apparently what Jeffrey Epstein had. Um, which was, which was uh, no one being there when he was either committed suicide or was murdered. Um, there was there are these various reports about uh, that there were two guards and one of them wasn't even really a guard. He was somebody who they just kind of used to be a guard uh, temporarily because because there weren't enough guards and and um, and they were all on, on overtime, um, they had done, one guard supposedly had done five days of overtime and the other guard was made to do overtime who wasn't a guard. And then it came out that because they don't have enough guards, actual guards, they use other kinds of people to be guards, like teachers or um, uh, clerks or something. Now, you know, being a guard, I can tell you this from my having treated uh, people who work in prisons and jails, it is a very, very exhausting um, job where you have to put up with so much and there is so much burnout. And people, it's very hard to do this kind of job for a long period of time because... um, because the prisoners are often animals and they throw feces at the guards and urine at the guards and they masturbate um, through the bars and do all kinds of things to, to torture the guards. So it is, it is a very difficult job and someone doing it for many years, um, you know, that's why I was saying earlier that some, it's a kind of a dark culture that um, that when you have to live with that for year upon year, something gets sort of twisted um, in your mind. And I'm not saying all guards are twisted. I know I can. I hear. I know what you're thinking. No, I am not saying that all guards are twisted or all people who work in jails and prisons are twisted. But um, they do develop. It does change their personality. Some of the ways that it changes um, is to make them more more uh, uh, authoritarian or controlling. I I had an experience recently where I went to the Twin Towers to see a a prisoner that's in Los Angeles, and um, I was wearing boots, and it was a very leather boots, and it was a very hot day, and I didn't have any socks on inside the boots. And so when I went to take the boots off because they wanted to make me take them off before I could go see the prisoner... Um, I mean, there weren't big boots, and there was no way I could have. <laughs> there was no way I could have had anything bad in there, any contraband. Uh, you could look in at the top to see that there was no gun or anything in there, but they wanted me to take the boots off. And um, with this hot, sticky day, I was having a really hard time of it. And finally, after like 15 minutes, you know, the guard said, uh, "I, I was." 
you know, asking him, can I, can you just, well, I was asking him for help, actually. If he could just pull them off, I don't know what the deal was. He didn't want to pull my boots off for some reason. Um, but anyhow, finally, he just kind of felt all around my feet. <laughs> and he decided that after 15 minutes, he would let me go. And so I, I did. He did let me go upstairs to see the prisoner. Um, but so and I've had all kinds of things like that, you know, uh, in all kinds of jails. Um, and prisons where they they make quirky kinds of things, um, quirky kinds of rules, and just to you know, and of course they do the pat. Some of them do the pat down. Not all of them do, thank goodness. Of course, there usually aren't women working there, so that's awkward. Um, but anyhow, so they make you just even as a even as a professional as going there as a professional to see a patient, they still. Um, it, and it totally varies. Sometimes it's nothing. It's like very polite and, and very respectful. And sometimes it's not wanting to help you take your boots off. So, um, so it varies, but there, uh, but there, there is definitely an impact of, and again, also it depends upon what your job is within the prison or the jail. Um, sometimes, you know, if you're not having a lot of one-on-one um, contact with the prisoners, then it isn't as bad. Like if you have a more um, clerical kind of job or something like that, or just at the front desk at, in the uh, when you know at the reception desk, um, that isn't as bad. Of course, sometimes people move around in jails and prisons have and take various jobs. But anyway, my point is that. You know, certainly these people, these guards are not above, some guards, I don't want, some guards are not above being um, bribed. Uh, certainly Epstein had all the money in the world, and he could have, I mean, really how much, how much uh, imagination does it take to think of him bribing a guard to not pay attention to him if he wanted to commit suicide, for example, or how much, how difficult is it to imagine that one of the people who um, was being revealed in these new documents, let's say, as being a close friend of his and being implicated, um, how difficult do you think it would be for them to get to bribe a guard? All of these things, I mean, that's the problem. There are so many different possible scenarios that it is so far impossible to be able to say which one would stick. Now, I was talking about this, uh, these reports that uh, his attorney, Epstein's attorney, told, the, told somebody at the prison, a guard, the psychiatrist or psychologist, um, that to take him off suicide watch. And as I was saying before, and this is, I can't say this strongly enough, that any self-respecting, responsible, ethical uh, psychiatrist or psychologist would not listen <laughs> to a uh, lawyer or any other non-mental health professional uh, to, to take the person off suicide watch or should not listen to them. Now, why would his attorney maybe have, have said that? Um, possibly, as I was saying before, maybe he really did think that um, Jeffrey was feeling more, that it was worse for him, more depressing for him to be on suicide watch 
that, you know, let's say he, I mean, it is, of course, I mean, imagine being a prisoner with a camera in your cell. Uh, you know, it's not like you can close the door and go into the bathroom. You know, every single thing that you do is being, um, is being watched. So perhaps, you know, I'm sure he did not like being on, nobody likes being, well, I shouldn't say nobody. There are some people who like being on suicide watch when they realize that they are uh, seriously thinking about suicide and they want to be stopped. But for the most part, people don't like this invasion of their privacy and this lack of control. Certainly Epstein would not want to not be in control. So, you know, I could see where he would have said to his attorney, oh, please, please, you know, get me off suicide watch, whatever you do. So, um, so how did the attorney do this? Did he perhaps just talk to these, these people at the prison? Did, did, he, um, did he pay somebody? You know, did Epstein give him money to pay the guard or pay the psychiatrist? Did, um, did somebody else who want to... <laughs> did the lawyer have a reason himself for wanting um, Epstein to die? Um, what's interesting, uh, there are some reports that, in fact, his lawyers have just obtained criminal lawyers themselves. Now, why would that be? And there is something, something interesting. Maybe it did have something to do with um, them telling someone to take him off suicide watch. I, I don't know, but, you know, <laughs> there could be like... Uh, a hundred, a hundred novels, a hundred mysteries or um, crime stories from all of the different combinations of theories of things that could have happened in that cell. Now, of course, there's another thing that you need to think about, and while we're throwing in <laughs> everything but the kitchen sink, um, child molesters are the most hated in prison and jail. Other prisoners hate child molesters. So even if he wasn't Jeffrey Epstein, even if he was, you know, Joe Schmo, and he was a child molester, a pedophile, he would have been uh, there. He would have been in danger. In fact, one of the people who I, um, who I was hired by their attorney to, um, to help uh, bring forth an appeal of his sentence is a man who is in Greenhaven, which is a prison outside New York City. And he was um, accused of being a child molester. And he, uh, he ultimately, you know, was bamboozled into taking a plea deal, and now he's trying to have an appeal to have a real trial. So that's how I was involved with him, and I spent time in Greenhaven prison with him. And he told me uh, his story about what has happened to him since he was arrested and since he was in jail and prison. And he was in grave danger. They didn't have him in the general population because he was in grave danger of being murdered by the other prisoners because they believed that he was a child. He was, it was a famous case. It is a famous case. And so the child, in fact, when he was first put in jail, uh, they had his story on the news on television in the jail, and all of the prisoners, they had the television so the prisoners could see it, and so he, the prisoners had been seeing this story about this man, and then he was brought into the jail. And you can imagine um, what that led to, you know, attempts on his life. 
So it could, it doesn't have to be uh, some famous man who was a friend of Jeffrey's who um, was implicated, particularly in the new documents that came out the night before he died. Um, it could just be another prisoner or a guard. You know, the guards hate uh, pedophiles as well. So, again, you know, it's, uh, there, there are so many people who, who could have had something to do with this. Um, I have been tweeting away, of course, about this. And um, when we come back, I will tell you some of my tweets. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, and one of my, my first tweet, um, I talked about how in any case, even if he is a pedophile, uh, even if he is guilty of these crimes, it is still sad that this man is dead, whether by suicide or murder. He's still a human being, and we still have to have some kind of compassion for him. Well, we'll take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about Jeffrey Epstein, who done it, and why. So stay tuned, and uh, we'll be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Jeffrey Epstein, who done it and why. Um, I promised I would tell you some of my tweets. By the way, if you ever want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Dr. Carol MD. So at Dr. Carol C A R O L E M D. So the first um, tweet 
that I wrote about him said, Jeffrey Epstein reportedly hanged self, though on suicide watch in jail. Why? Question mark. Saw writing on wall, couldn't take humiliation, protecting friends, passive aggressive toward victims. Whatever he did, it's still sad. Then, this was followed by, whether Jeffrey Epstein suicided or was murdered, it's clearly fault of Metropolitan Corrections Center for not keeping close enough watch. If taken off suicide watch too soon equals fault of psychiatrist or psychologist who made that call. Investigation will hopefully reveal truth. Then this morning, shrieking from Jeffrey Epstein's cell could have been him or guards. Not first time we go down mysterious road of suicide versus murder. Remember Aaron Hernandez. I've worked in jails and prisons in New- in, from New York City to California, evaluating inmates as forensic psychiatrists, seeing their dark culture. So, um, you know, ta- let's talk a little bit about murder. Who would have wanted to murder him? Uh, obviously, the key, the people who would be most likely to want to murder him, besides the inmates or the staff of the jail because of him being a pedophile, as I was just talking about, the other most likely suspects would be the people who were involved in some way in his um, years of pedophilia. Um, again, alleged pedophilia. Uh, people who were the, you know, the women who would get the girls to come to his house. And I have... Um, research some of those stories. The stories are are really sad, Um, again, alleged. He had these women around him who would go out to schoolyards or um, hotels or wherever, wherever they saw a very young, (laughs) cute uh, girl, who particularly girls who seemed like they needed the money or had some other or wanted to be a model or wanted to be a um, an actress or, you know, somebody who would be more susceptible to being convinced to come week after week after week to his house and engage in grooming, you know, he would start off making the girls comfortable, um, just giving him massages and so on, or just talking to him at the beginning. And then more and more it would get to more uh, serious sexual activity. And so the girls, um, I read this one story, for example, about a girl who was picked up or was targeted, really, by one of Epstein's women and uh, who befriended her and found out about her. And it just so happened that this girl came from a poor family. And uh, I think she wanted to go to college. She also wanted to be a model. And, um, and so she was someone who... You know, she came to his house, and at first it was just very pleasant and talking, and he gave, each time he gave her $300 each time she just visited his, his house. And so he lured her in and lured her in, and then, you know, got her to uh, massage him, and first with clothes and without clothes, you know, very gradually got the girl to, uh, to do more and more. And she was hooked because of the money, 
and because of, um, you know, which, which she shared with her family and because uh, she wanted to be a model. And, of course, he promised that he would, you know, help set her up and be a model. And then there were other girls, same thing with being an actress. You know, yes, I have lots of friends and I'll help you to, to you know, be a star, um, all that kind of stuff. And, and so um, eventually she was uh, having sex and um, not really wanting to do it, but by then had been trapped, had been brainwashed, had been groomed, uh, had been seduced. And, um, and that was this particular story, which is very similar to other stories. So, um, so who would, who would want, so, so these women who, um, were the ones who went out and got the girls for him would be possibilities of, um, of people who wouldn't want him to talk because they were, uh, not put in jail or given any kind of, um, jail, well, jail sentence primarily, what weren't punished in any serious way when he when he first came um, to their attention to the to the authorities' attention when he was able to make the plea deal and get off with like a slap on the wrist, these women um, got off also, and now there has been more talk about these women now getting um, being found uh, to be complicit, and they're being in trouble so if Jeffrey Epstein wasn't alive. <laughs> Uh, they, he wouldn't be able to talk about them. You know, for, perhaps he would have wanted to talk about some of these people to get a lighter sentence for himself, you know, maybe saying that he didn't really want to do this, but he was forced to do it which, by these women, which doesn't make a very logical, believable story. But, but then, of course, you know, you've heard about some of the people who um, the media has been talking about as being, as being connected to him, Clinton. Um, of course, is a big name that came out. Um, then uh, um, Prince Andrew was also another big name, and then there have been other big names who um, have been are now being looked at much more carefully as perhaps you know be doing the same kind of behavior as Jeffrey. He he shared his women. Um, you know that was part of it. So it certainly would help these other people help their cases, help their defense, if he wasn't around to potentially tell the truth, tell the stories about what their involvement actually was. And a lot of these people are very rich, or rich enough, let's put it that way, to bribe uh, a guard or bribe, I don't even want to say potentially bribe um, a jail psychiatrist, be, not that that is not possible, but I don't want to think about it. I mean, it is certainly possible because that is sort of a, a very difficult job as well if you if that's your full-time job working in a jail. Um, it's, it's a lot of responsibilities as there are. Um, and, and, you know, part of this whole thing is that nowadays uh, the people in jail are, are different, the population. In jails and prisons are different than they were, let's say, 10 years ago. The people now, um, and more and more, you know, not specifically 10 years, but even 20 years, as the years have gone by to today, the people in jail are, and prisons are more likely to have mental problems. 
And so they are, um, so that because of the state hospitals having closed, now many of the patients who were dumped on the streets when the state hospital closed, and even, even not just state hospitals, but these days, um, just gen- hospitals in general, there are fewer beds for psychiatric patients, not just state hospitals, but like, for example, I was on the staff at Cedars Sinai in Los Angeles. Uh, their psych program, they had a, bu- a whole building of psych patients, inpatient and outpatient. And a few years back, they, they closed it. Why? Because um, insurance companies weren't paying enough to be able to support it. And most of these patients um, don't have money. And so it was all dependent upon uh, insurance companies or Medicare or Medi-Cal. Or, um, so it couldn't sustain itself. You know, there are certain costs in running a hospital. And when insurance companies, you know, don't pay for what these costs are, then it can't continue. And that was a really devastating thing. It was a, Cedar sinai had a wonderful, wonderful psychiatric program. I, I would always put patients there if they needed to be hospitalized, um, you know, put my outpatients there if they needed to be hospitalized. And so it's very, it's very tragic. And so where did those patients go? Uh, many of them, I can tell you, have landed in jail. Because really, they, la- they stop taking their medication when they're not in the hospital. They don't have families, many of them. And so when they stop taking their medication, when there's nobody around to make them take it because they don't have a family looking after them, they stop taking it. And then their psychosis comes back. And then they end up homeless. And then they end up in jail because, you know, they'll do something like try to steal some food to eat because they're hungry. So it's a really sad, sad situation. And so jails and prisons um, have become, well, mostly jails because um, prisons are, you know, usually, at, well, I mean, I, usually after you're convicted, you end up in prison. But, but, you know, that's true, too, that after these people get convicted of whatever crime they're in there for, then they, you know, they and their psychosis end up in prisons as well. So um, the jails and prisons are not really set up to accommodate mental health treatment. And I just recently heard about some proposal where they were going to um, try to have, like, turn part of the jail into, like, a mini mental health center of some sort. Um, And, (laughs) you know, that ain't going to work. I mean, yeah, it's more... It's more compassionate than the the treatment, the psychiatric treatment that prisoners get uh, is horrible. They hardly ever get to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker. And um, it is not necessarily, uh, how should I put this? (laughs) You know, well, let's put it this way. They don't necessarily, they don't get, because because there are so many of them, they don't get therapy, real therapy, you know. There's no time to, like, uh, talk about how you hate your mother. <laughs> um, so they, they get, like, really cursory visits, short, short visits, mid-visits for the most part. Then there are sometimes social work visits to try to help in terms of outside issues related to the outside. Um, 
but everything is really very, there are just tiny amounts of this that in no way can satisfy the problem. And, um, and so it's not like a mental hospital. I mean, really what has to happen is that the state mental hospitals, many of which, of course, have been transformed into other things, but they need, to, they need more psych hospitals, whether they're state hospitals or private hospitals or uh, county hospitals. They, there needs to be, and they need to be reopened. There needs to be more of a place, especially as the world is getting crazier and crazier. It's harder for people who wouldn't necessarily have ended up in a mental hospital. Um, more people are being so stressed by the world, by what's happening in the world, that um, more people are getting ill who wouldn't have five years ago because of all this stress between terrorism and political divisiveness, and um, all kinds of issues. Um, so, so jail is not a place, or prison is not, a, neither one of them are places where you want, ex- can expect to get proper psychiatric help. But of course, um, you certainly should expect to come out alive, <laughs> to at least come to your trial and be judged by, a peer, by your peers and have defense attorneys and all of that and have a chance to get justice, not to end up dead on the floor of your cell like Jeffrey Epstein. Thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. See you next week. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 